I intend to get started on, but as I'm digging in Matthew, I just can't quit. And I've been wanting to start a series on the church and who the church is, but this morning's passage is um, just incredible. It's so small and so overlooked, yet so rich and full that um, it's just an amazing passage, and I, I really want to touch on it today. The title of this morning's message is Finding God in the Storm. Finding God in the Storm. I don't know about you, but I've been through a few storms in my life, and I'm not talking about just storms down in Texas where you get hail literally the size of bowling balls. One time Judy and I went to Oklahoma to visit her family, and that's one of those family trips that you're actually very, very thankful for going on. Sometimes you don't always look forward to those, but we came back in the apartments that we were in, there were literally balls of ice the size of bowling balls sitting outside in the parking lot. Everything had literally been destroyed. It was one of the worst natural disasters in the history of the nation, and it was just a hailstorm through North Texas. It was amazing. But that's the reality of storms that we're going to talk about today. But I believe in the scriptures, this little snippet of the New Testament is reflective of the entire Old Testament in the kingdom of God. And I'll give you an example as we proceed. But beginning, let's back up to verse 22 from last week, and we'll go into verse 23 from this week. It says this, follow me, or he says, and Jesus said to them, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Verse 23, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Extraordinarily simple in its text. As a matter of fact, you could read through that and go, okay, he's just describing this general reality of his disciples following him around. But what you might not understand is this, is in the entire Old Testament, it's all about following God. Think about it. From day one, God calls Adam and Eve to follow him and his commands, and yet they rejected him. Throughout the entire history of the Israelites, in all the Old Testament, whether it was in Abraham's day, following him from his homeland into the land of Canaan, among the Canaanites, it was constantly God calling his people to follow him in and out of the land. It wasn't always about the land, it was following God. For instance, in Matthew, it says this, Matthew chapter 4, verse 20, we've already read this. It says, well, as a matter of fact, let's turn there since we don't have video quite yet. Matthew chapter 4, verse 20, it says, beginning in verse 19, let's back up. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on, verse, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Very, very simple, but very, very true. Tonight's Sunday night's series is on discerning and being discerning in regards to theology and truth. And some of the preachers that you might see on TV, we had a great attendance last Sunday. Tonight, Justin Peters is going to talk about a number of things, but one of the things he'll show is a video clip. And today, there is pretty much a division, even within evangelical circles, on preaching and teaching the Word of God. On the one hand, there's an old school that 
I'm kind of in the old school that we actually go through the Bible verse by verse, word by word, and look to see what God has to say to us rather than creating a series necessarily of things that we're trying to see from God or ask from God. And the idea is old school is talking about theology and belief and what God actually has to say. The new school is, man, churches have been doing that forever. And if you've ever walked into a church that's kind of dead, kind of uh, unfriendly, and in all honesty, people are arguing about deep stuff, but their lives, their lives just simply don't reflect the most basic, simple scripture, as in this case, of actually following God. And so there are a number of preachers that are literally angry at at preachers like myself who talk about theology and doctrine and the very truths of the Word of God because they feel like, hey, you've been doing that for a long time. There's no change in the church, so that must be the problem. But I'm here to tell you today, simply following God doesn't work unless you know who God is and what He desires. And so it's not an either or, but a both and. And Jesus is doing very simple things and asking the disciples to follow him. And the cool thing is they're beginning to respond. And God will bless that. I told you the entire uh, Old Testament is full of examples of people following or not following God. If you will, turn to Numbers chapter 13. Not exactly a book you're probably reading on a daily basis, Numbers, but it's a cool book. It's in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 13 tells this amazing story. The Israelites have come out of Egypt. God has has led them in the desert for 40 years with miracles. Many many a time I've, I've talked to people in today's world, they're going, man, I would believe in God if he would just show me a miracle, like Old Testament cool sort of miracle, like fire from heaven. Well, this is the case. The Israelites had 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 this. They were wandering around the desert. God was leading them in a desert to teach them to follow him. Even when they had nothing, he was providing completely and totally everything they needed. And he was about to bring them in a land, but there was this challenge before them. The land was occupied, and God wasn't just simply going to wipe these people out. He was going to challenge the Israelites to go in in the midst of a storm or a challenge or or tremendous odds and trust in him and follow him. And there was a report that came back. They sent spies into the land to figure out, to check out the lay of the land. And it says this in verse 30. It says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone with him We said, we are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And and we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who had come from the Nephilim, and, he, and we seemed to ourselves be like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. And in verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, it says this, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, 
Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is it that Yahweh is bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become like prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They're facing true death if they go into this land. No doubt about it. They were small people. The, 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 the account is very, very clear. If you looked at life just through the lens of everything that the world had to offer, and you looked at your own resources and your own abilities, death awaited, and they were fearful. They were truly afraid. They would literally rather go back into slavery than face potential death. And the crazy thing is this. They had seen God Almighty do miraculous miracles every day of their lives. Forty years. Every day. They'd been through the parting of the Red Sea. And yet, the moment that it came down to a life or death situation, they were ready to go back. Toss God aside. I don't know about you, when I'm following God on a daily basis, I hate to admit this, but it's not always the life and death sort of situations that tend to make me go, eh, not for me. It's those small little things that'll trip you up. And it's amazing. You might have known God your whole life, but you get tripped up in the small storms of life. Well, look what happens in verse 20 of chapter 14 here in Numbers. It says this. Then Yahweh said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of Yahweh, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, the one guy who gave the good report, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. The entire history of the Israelites depended upon this one guide, one guy who was following God. And you see that continually throughout the Old Testament God working in individuals in the midst of a large crowd of other individuals who say they believe in God and who say they follow God, that one individual standing tall in the midst of the storm, God uses and mighty things come from it. And so back here in Matthew chapter 14, or Matthew chapter 8 rather, we see Jesus going out onto the lake and there's this storm that arises. Here we go. It says, and when they got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And in verse 24, it says this, and behold, there, was a, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. Amazingly. You have the proverbial <clears throat> picture here of God being asleep at the wheel. <laughs> you 
what you don't understand is in Luke, uh, the account, or rather in Mark, the account in, in chapter 4, verse 38, it says this. But when he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And that becomes important later. Whether or not this was a big enough boat to actually have a stern uh, with a rudder at the back where Jesus was literally at the wheel of the boat, we're not sure. The Greek word here for boat could uh, imply just the smallest of vessels to the largest of boats. But there's this amazing picture. And let's go back and look at it very carefully. And in verse 24, it says this of Matthew. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. Mark says the boat was filling with water, but he was asleep. Well, the first point is they followed God. Secondly, they switched their focus from God to the storm and all the effects of the storm. If you've ever had a storm or a difficulty or a season in your life where you're really struggling, and we all do, the question is, where is your focus? And I can promise you, if you're struggling, more than likely, you're not struggling because you're diligently seeking the promises of God in His Word. Not just at 10 minutes in the morning, but all day, every day. I bet you that's not the picture. I bet you what the picture is this, is you have this amazing problem, and maybe you cry out to God once in a while, and maybe you, you come to church occasionally or even faithfully, but you try it for a little bit and then you go, man, that's just not working. God must not be listening. I'm just going to try another avenue, just like the Israelites did. Well, here's my solution to the problem, or here's the solution to the world. Guess what? The storm doesn't go away when you and I try to approach it with our problems or our problem-solving techniques. And here's the cool thing. If we follow God, if we put our eyes and our trust in Him, the storm doesn't have to go away. You can have peace and hope in the midst of the storm. Look at verse 25. It says this, And they went and woke Him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And it's more than just this. They're not just worried about death. He's, go back to Mark, listen to Mark chapter 4, verse 38. It says, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they woke him saying to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Oh, yeah. They're making an indictment on Jesus. You don't care about me. We're dying here. You're asleep. What's going on, God? Isn't that the truth, though? And I'm not, I'm not making fun of the storm. They were literally about to die. I'm a big baby when it comes to the ocean. I don't like big waves. If the waves are more than about a foot high, I don't go out deep sea fishing with my dad. It just isn't happening. Not only will I be tossing my cookies over the board, it's just not fun. Little boat, big waves, that's not a good equation. And so they're literally out there on this lake. It's not a huge sea. We've talked about this before. But the waves are big enough to come over the side. And I don't know about you, but that would get my attention. And so it was a serious storm, but all of a sudden they developed this attitude of, woe is me, pitiful me. Don't you care, God? And that's the approach that we take if we cry out to God. And we haven't truly been following him and knowing him. 
It's like we're living this world and this life, and all of a sudden when something happens, we cry out to God to fix it immediately because, quite frankly, he doesn't care about us or he wouldn't be letting us go through it. That's the approach that we take. Well, point number three is this. Even when God seems asleep at the wheel, he's still in control. Notice this in verse 25, and it says, And they went and woke him and saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. They recognize that he at least is Lord. And he is the one to cry out to. At the very minimum, they recognize that. They had their eyes on the storm. They were worried. They were full of, uh, of just disbelief. They couldn't believe this was happening. But they at least knew enough to go to the individual who did have the answer. And they did at least have enough to ask for salvation. And that's where it begins, to recognize that. Well, the next point is this. There is no fear for those who follow by faith. So number one, finding God in the midst of the storm, you've got to follow God. And then finally we get to the point, you're following him, and notice what it says in verse 26. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. Great calm after the storm passes. Great calm when you trust in God in the storm. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I get Jesus saying, why are you, you of little faith? I mean, I would get that because, quite frankly, I would be frightened myself. As I just mentioned, I don't like seas and big waves. Mix in rain, mix in a little wooden boat with a bunch of other guys that aren't necessarily seagoing individuals, and trying to just travel across a, a sea and this big storm hits, I would be afraid. And I always wondered, reading this simple little verse, why in the world Jesus would be upset with them for being afraid? Why would he say, you have little faith? I mean, fear is a natural thing, right? Fear is good sometimes. You don't mess around with big dogs with big teeth, right? You don't, you don't do certain things. When I was a teenager, I had a Camaro that hit 150 and going down a straightaway to college. Very stupid. I thought, okay, the car can do 150. I wasn't following God. I wasn't concerned about speed limits. But what never crossed my mind is the tires were rated for like 85 miles an hour, and they were bald. Not a smart situation. A little fear can be a good thing sometimes, right? You don't, do, you don't catch me doing that. In fact, Brandon's not here this morning. I'll pick on him. He hates following me if we're on a road trip anywhere. He mandates that he's in the lead. Why? Because I do 55 miles an hour. And, and I don't go very much faster than that. I'm like an old man in disguise, all right? I, I'm the Sunday driver. I just don't do that sort of stuff anymore. So why is Jesus saying, why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? Well, he's trying to teach them something. Notice these verses here. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it says this. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Jesus did this. He took on flesh. God took on flesh. That through death, 
he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's this amazing thing that that God presents to us, that life is more than just flesh and blood, being born and someday dying, that there is something greater than life and death. And, And Jesus came to take away this fear. And it continues on in 2 Timothy. And this, I could share with you many, many verses about God's will, about fear, but it says this, 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He continues in 1 John 4, 17 and 18, it says this, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Notice this, God is moving our, in, our focus off of the storms of life and the, the things that might cause us fear, whether it be death, whether it be financial hardships, whether it be some situation that you're dealing with, and he's focusing on the eternal. And it says this, because as he is so, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Amazing picture that God desires. In this little snippet here in Matthew, he's, he's teaching the disciples who were following him, who had taken their eyes off of him and put it on the storm, to trust in him, even though he might not appear like he's, he's in charge. Because when you trust in God, you don't have to fear even the worst things in life. Because there's something greater beyond life and death. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine living a life without fear of death? It would be hard at first. Because quite frankly, if you're in the midst of that storm, and I get that, it's so easy to put your eyes, your hope, your everything on this storm whether it be cancer, whether it be financial hardships, bad marriage, whether it be whatever the case may be, just a general sadness and depression and hopelessness. It's so easy to let that stuff consume you. Yet Jesus says, and and God's word promises throughout the scripture, that we don't have to have fear, that we can have hope, But it requires faith in God, of following Him. A basic explanation of what faith is, to simply follow Him. And notice their response in verse 27, and we'll close with this. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey Him? Simply put, the last point, what sort of man is this, demands an answer. Throughout all the scriptures, there's only one individual who controls the seas, who controls the winds, who controls nature. That is God, the God who created them. He is in control. And if Jesus can control the winds and the storms, 
it demands an answer. Who is this guy? Is he just a man or is he fully God? Well, he just doesn't claim to be the I am of the Old Testament. He demonstrates it time and time and time and time again, both privately and publicly. So there is no debate about what he did. Amazingly, if you deal with atheists or if you deal in a situation where you're debating with individuals who believe in Jesus and those who don't, there are a number of things they will say, well, he was just a good teacher or he was, he was just a rabbi or, or this or that. But one of the things they never say is that he didn't do all those miracles. The testimony lends itself in such a way that it, those who kept it the church, those that saw it, those that heard it, it would be ridiculous to try to, to time and time and time again make these outrageous claims that he could heal all these people and do all these things because there would be too many witnesses. It, it, it would be either you accept it or not. You could try to justify, well, it was just a, uh, an accident, the guy was getting better, or yeah, it just so happened that the storm passed. You could try to do that, but if you see the entire gospel account, literally one account says there were so many miracles done that it would take an entire library essentially to capture all the things that Jesus did. So the opponents of Christianity, in all honesty, they don't even attempt to go that route. The question for you today is who is this Jesus? It's easy to believe in Jesus when life is good. The real test comes when the water's coming over the sides of the boat, when it's filling, and you feel like you're drowning, and you wonder where God's at. That is when you have to decide, do you really trust in the God of creation. And the problem is, if it's just at that point that you're beginning to get to know God, it's real hard to do. I want to encourage you to begin that walk and following Him today before the storms come or they get so bad that you can't even seem to, to see beyond the storm. When you walk with God on a daily basis, makes it much, much easier when those storms come. I hope and pray that's where you're at today. Well, I'm going to close in a word of prayer, invite the worship team to come up at this point and close us in one last song, and then we have a quick video clip for you for tonight's service. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just thank you so very much for this day and your word. Just reading over your scriptures in a simple story all week and studying it, I just realized how much I fall short. How easy it is for me to take for granted what you desire and that following you isn't just going to church. It's not going to a prayer meeting. It's truly following you every day of my life. Not in the easy times but in the hardest of times. And I pray that you would strengthen everyone here. Whatever storms that are going on in the lives of individuals, I just pray that they would find you in the midst of them. 
In Christ's name I pray this. Amen. Amen. If you guys would like to stand for this last song, please join us.